sit here in dreamland now. Lovely close control there by Weller. Chance on for Birchin or the whack one. And it's a beautiful goal. What about that one? Stevie Clarence has given Leicester a place in the Premiership. Amazing. Leicester City. Hello and welcome to For Fox Sake and the What If series continues. My name is Pete Selby. We have Rob Hayes down the end of the phone line. Rob, how are you? I'm well, thank you. I think it's a sign of the times, Pete, that it's a Friday night uh, and we are spending our time uh, down the phone line to each other recording uh, the third instalment of the What If series. Not that it's not thoroughly entertaining and not that I wouldn't want to choose to spend my Friday evening with you, but here we are. Yes, and here we are with the third What If. The first two are available, so however you're listening to this podcast, you can go back and listen to the two previous What Ifs, answering burning questions such as what if Martin O'Neill didn't leave Leicester in the year 2000 and also, what if Leicester won the double back in 1963? Go and listen to those at your leisure and find out what would have happened in an alternative timeline, an alternative reality, an alternative Leicester City Football Club. But today, Rob, we're asking not only probably the biggest question in Leicester City's history, but one of the biggest questions in football history. And the question today is, what if Leicester didn't sack Nigel Pearson in the summer of 2015. This is going to be an interesting one because uh, the last two instalments, as you mentioned there, um, the second one we went very, very much back in time, a very sort of trip down um, through the history books really, wasn't it? And and the first one, um, you and I both lived through the Martin O'Neill era, but this particular episode today is still right in the forefront of most Leicester City fans' memories and many football fans' memories worldwide. We're talking about the time period in which um, Leicester City produced two of the most extraordinary seasons in their entire history, back-to-back, for different reasons. And there was a big moment in the middle of those two, and that's what forms the question. Uh, Nigel Pearson being sacked by Leicester City in the summer of 2015 after one extraordinary season. And could we ever have predicted how how much further the level of extraordinary could go the following season after that key event? So let's, as we do at the beginning of every single What If episode, let's set the scene. It's June 2015. And as you just said, Rob, Leicester have stayed up in the Premier League under Nigel Pearson in the so-called greatest escape season. They've won seven of their last nine games to avoid relegation. Leicester City players, staff and officials, they go on a postseason goodwill tour to Thailand. But days later, a racist sex tape involving three of the squad players, including the manager's son, James Pearson, who actually made a first-team appearance in the previous season, emerges And the three players are sacked. Two weeks later, Leicester then sack Nigel Pearson as manager, citing fundamental differences between the board and manager. And a fortnight later, Leicester go on to appoint Claudio Ranieri as their manager. And we know what happens the next season, the 2015-16 season. 
Leicester win the Premier League under Claudio Ranieri. But what if, Rob, what if Nigel Pearson wasn't sacked in the summer of 2015? That is the question. And usually on the regular sort of weekly or fortnightly episodes of Fox 8, you ask me a question there uh, and I would give you an answer. Uh, But I think we're going to need to take our time over this one. I think we're going to need to consider lots of different potential courses of action. Um, Look back in a little bit more detail at what did happen and what could have happened. Um, Ultimately, to suggest what we think may have happened if if Nigel Pearson hadn't been sacked as Leicester City manager. But also, I think it's, it's quite nice for those people listening... Um, to be presented with some possible courses of alternative realities, whatever you want to call them, uh, in order to make up their own mind. Um, maybe once and for all, maybe it's something that's been going around in people's minds for for quite a long time. So we'll try over the next half an hour or so to go down avenues that you yourselves listening at home might also have gone down. Now, the factors to factor in, are very different actually with this alternative timeline than the two previous that we created. With the Martin O'Neill, it was very much a case of having a side at its absolute peak, maybe just boiling over and then uh, looming large, literally as well, was the new King Power Stadium or the Walker Stadium at the time. Back in the 60s, in the 63 season, if Leicester won the double, how would the club reacted and would they have gone on to win further trophies and maybe European success new grounds, etc. In the, in the following decades. But here, we're going to look at the two timelines pretty much together because it's so recent and in people's memories, every person's memory. And we're going to look at transfers, uh, squad personnel, decisions that were made, outside influences, media pressure, and ultimately answer the big question, would they have gone on and won the league? Now, first of all, Rob, I think it's uh, really a best place to start is transfers because one major player to leave who was a big part in Leicester staying up the previous season was Esteban Cambiasso. Now, he was actually still at the club when uh, Ranieri was appointed and Ranieri couldn't persuade him to stay. I believe, Rob, that Nigel Pearson actually wouldn't have either. I think his mind was made up and he was going to leave and go back to Argentina. Um, let's take a look at some of the signings, though. We'll go through these in uh, one by one, and then we'll, we'll discuss them in more detail. That summer, Leicester signed Shinji Okazaki from Mainz for around seven million. Robert Huth makes his loan move permanent, three million from Stoke. Christian Fuchs signs on a free from Schalke. Angolo Kante, five point six million from Khan, and then Johan Bellerawan from Atalanta, around six million. Napoli, we pay three million pounds for Gukan Inla. Um, so before Nigel Pearson leaves in the real timeline, Leicester do complete the signings in some way, shape or form of Shinji Okazaki, uh, Robert Huth and Christian Fuchs. So they've already signed when Nigel Pearson is sacked. But Nigel Pearson stays on as manager. They don't go on maybe the preseason tour or the uh, goodwill tour. Nothing like that happens. He's in charge. Now, the main target that summer was N'Golo Kante. And Leicester, if you remember, they pestered Ranieri to sign N'Golo Kante, which, of course, they did. And there's absolutely no reason, I believe, Rob, to believe that Kante wouldn't actually have signed with Nigel Pearson in charge. 
No, I don't think so. And I, and I think the interesting thing to note there is that, that Claudio Ranieri was quite open and honest about the fact that he didn't really see um, in N'Golo Kante what he would bring to Leicester City. And that's why he needed a bit of coercing. And from from memory, Kante was one of the uh, many um, signings that were scouted uh, and suggested really by by Steve Walsh, who officially uh, uh, under the Nigel Pearson regime was an assistant manager, but you get the feeling he was more involved behind the scenes. It was his transfer record, really, that, that that we talk about quite a lot in terms of unearthing the likes of Mares and, and Knockout from the French leagues. Um, so I think, if anything, if Pearson was still in charge, uh, Kante might have come in a little bit earlier uh, as Pearson seemed to trust Steve Walsh. It was very much him, Steve Walsh and Craig Shakespeare as, as a bit of a trio uh, a well-established, a good trust between the three of them. So it may well have been that Kante came in to the Leicester squad earlier and maybe even found his feet a bit quicker in the Leicester squad because if you remember, he he, he struggled for game time at the beginning of that season. And um, I think he started a few games on the right-hand side of midfield. Such was Ranieri not really realising what he was bringing to the table. So I think if Pearson had, had been in charge at that point, um, we could maybe have seen um, Kante in the first team fold in that position that he very much made his own in his one and only season in, in the Blue of Leicester. Uh, we could have seen that a lot earlier. Yeah, the first four games of the season, Andy King starts for Leicester and you would imagine maybe N'Golo Kante maybe be in bed in slightly earlier, as you said, but maybe still taking a few games to get going. But the, the final two signings are very interesting. Uh, first, Johan Bellerawan. Now, I don't think that this was a Walsh signing. It's the profile of the player just didn't fit in as a Walsh signing, especially being a centre-half as well. And the player signed in that position by both Walsh and Nigel Pearson in the two different spells at the club. I just don't think he was a signing. It's easy to say because he came from Italy, from Atalanta, then it would have been Ranieri signing, but I think it just is. And also, Gokhan Inla definitely was a Ranieri signing. He was his major target when he arrived. He arrived at the club as a replacement for Cambiasso, which was easy to say, but he wanted to sign Gokhan Inla. Um, so I believe, actually, that both wouldn't have signed under Pearson. So Leicester would have had... Still a few quid because between those two, you're talking nearly £10 million. Um, Nigel Pearson actually stated on numerous occasions towards the end of the previous season that they weren't going to splash the cash in the summer. Now, plenty of that may have just been a line to the press, but on a number of occasions, he did say just yet, which is an interesting couple of words for me. So targets more than likely were being scouted who were probably potential signings for maybe later on that season or even the season after for decent money. Uh, a player who could have actually been signed, though, at the beginning of the season, who will sign later on, was Daniel Armati from Copenhagen. Uh, at the time, he signed in January for around £6 million. This actually could have been brought forward. So if Leicester was struggling for cover at the back and they were trying to find a player, this is someone who was being scouted by Leicester at the time and undoubtedly a signing that they had in mind for a long time. So Leicester could have actually maybe brought that forward by six months and signed Armati before the season starts for around about the same price, £6 million, £5 million. Uh, that could have easily happened. The likes of Liam Moore, he leaves in September. He was at, actually at the club 
uh, at the time after going out on loan the previous year. But you do remember the start of that season, the first year in the Premier League, he was starting for Leicester uh, on a number of occasions. Um, another player who's of serious interest, who I think will crop up a few times, is Andre Kramrich, who made, actually, if you look at the season as a whole he actually made two league appearances that season both as a sub actually in defeats which is remarkable in three defeats that season the home defeat to Arsenal 5-2 and Liverpool away 1-0 he actually played in those games he scored he played three times in the league cup uh, scoring actually against Bury before going out alone to Hoffenheim a move that was made permanent later but I think with Pearson at the club Kramich would have actually been given more of a chance and he would have been involved in the first team more than he was under Claudio, which ultimately didn't actually matter because of what happened under Ranieri. So that's how I think it would have gone. I think Leicester may well have signed um, Daniel Amati before January because they needed cover at the back and also have Kramich in a more prominent role. I think you're right. I think Daniel Amati fits the bill as a Nigel Pearson defender much more than Johan Benloan does. Benloan has somehow inexplicably really become a bit of a cult hero uh, amongst some sections of of Leicester City fans and Forest fans, I think, nowadays as well. Um, But very much not the style of defender or the personality of player, really, that would suit a a Nigel Pearson uh, leadership. Uh, Gokhan Inla on paper was a very good signing. You know, you lose Esteban Cambiasso, who I think you're right, would have gone anyway. Um, he would have realised, well, would have thought very quickly that, look, we've just performed one of the greatest escapes in Premier League history. I've managed to have a go at the Premier League. He was held in such high regard at Leicester City, considering he'd, he'd, the short space of time that he'd been there. There was nothing really for him to gain from staying. So I don't think that would have changed, regardless of who the manager was. Um, Daniel Amati um, was, uh, at that time, a young prospect, um, athletically good, um, physically good, uh, and versatile as well. So I think you're right. I think... If you're looking for options there, if you're looking for depth, um, not necessarily as a starter, but somebody who can come on or step in for a game or two in in several different positions, uh, I think he would have would have come through early. And he was being talked about quite a lot, so that would probably have been a signing that would have come in. Uh, but I think Gokhan Inla was, uh, from Nigel Pearson's point of view, would probably have been a bit of a, a luxury player, really. Um, he had a, a lot of technical ability, but he was found out very quickly that the, the Premier League was an awful lot uh, quicker and more intense than Serie A where he'd come from. Uh, and I think Nigel Pearson would probably have realised that before trying to bring him into English football in the first place. Yeah, away from the first team as well, everything continues as normal because Claudio didn't actually make wholesale changes to the backroom staff, something which... Uh, the club, Vichai, stipulated actually in negotiations with Ranieri that he keeps the majority of the backroom staff. So there's no real difference apart from with the manager as we go into the season. So the 2015-16 starts, Rob, as it did at home uh, against Sunderland and Leicester scoring goals but also conceding. And I have no reason to believe that Pearson wouldn't have actually carried on the form from the end of the previous season, just like... Uh, the players did underneath Claudio. Now, the first seven games 
are very interesting because Leicester conceded 14 goals in those seven games. Yes, five at home to Arsenal, which is a defining game. And for the first seven games, we had Jeff Schlupp at left back and Richie Delat at right back. Which, first of all, when you look back now and you go the first seven games of a Premier League winning campaign, you have Schlupp at left back and Delat at right back. It is quite funny, but... City conceded those 14 games in that uh, 14 goals in the time that the pair were together, uh, resulting in the 5-2 loss at home to Arsenal. An amazing game, if you remember that game. It was end to end, and I remember leaving the game because Leicester started very well that season, even though we'd lost. It was a lovely day, and I was still happy because it was Arsenal were fantastic. Leicester played really well, and I think they scored a couple maybe late on just to put a bit of gloss on the win. But uh, there was some major changes after that game. In fact, actually, Richie Delat never started uh, a league game again for Leicester. And in terms of Ranieri's major impact, especially early in the season, uh, the decision after that game was huge to bring in Christian Fuchs and Danny Simpson for their first starts. And that was a way to Norwich on October the 3rd. A very big change for a club to change both fullbacks. And fully enough, actually, on that day, it was Schlupp who was dropped onto the bench, who actually came on and scored the winner. Now, would Pearson have done the same? Would he have acted earlier? I can't believe that he wouldn't have noticed Christian Fuchs in training. Maybe Fuchs just take, taking a bit of time to get up to speed, get some fitness. Who knows why he didn't play in those first number of games. I'm not saying Delat actually played badly at all. But he, uh, sorry, uh, Schlupp at left back. But th there's no way that that Fuchs wouldn't have been brought into the side at some point. I think, actually, Pearson may have done it beforehand. Uh, on the other side, both Delat and Simpson, they played similar amounts the previous season, trying to find an angle of which Pearson would have gone with. Um, I think the obvious call would have been for Simpson because of the form of Riyad Mahrez ahead of him. And anyone with half a brain would have realised you've got to just put a defensive player in behind and let Mares do his stuff. So I just think Pearson, maybe even sooner than Claudio did, would have made the decision to change both fullbacks, bring in Fuchs, bring in Simpson, and the season kicked on from there. Nigel Pearson at heart is a defender. He played centre-back. Uh, he was very much a no-nonsense centre-back as well. So Jeffrey Schlupp was never a left-back. He ended up covering at left-back, Um if memory serves me right, because Paul Koncheski got a, an injury and he was left-footed. Uh, he, he got converted into a left-back. I'd never look at Jeffrey Schlupp and think he's a left-back. So if you've got a left-back that you've just signed that summer from a team that were playing in the Champions League and who has captained his side and got uh, any number of caps for Austria, then surely, as you say, he would have been selected to, to start much sooner and you're absolutely right in terms of defensive solidity Richie Delat gives you more legs but Danny Simpson is an outright defender and it's it's almost strange now these are the sort of moments mini moments within the season which I mean you can't really say that they swung the momentum because they came after after one defeat having started the game with you know, three wins and three draws. But they are moments that matter because you say now, any Leicester fan now could name the regular starting eleven of the title winning side. And it's Danny Simpson at right back and it's um, Christian Fuchs at left back. And you almost forget that that's not how the season started. 
But I, I think under Nigel Pearson, if we're talking what if he'd stayed in an alternative reality, I think very quickly he'd have realised, right, let's get the back four sorted and solid. And then you've got players like Riyad Mahrez ahead of you who can make things happen. You know, you don't necessarily need your fullbacks to be expansive and creative because he, at times, is capable of being a one-man band. Now, as we know, Leicester, they go top after a 3-0 win at Newcastle on the 21st of November and again after drawing at Villa on January the 16th, which then they remain there all season. Now, I think, Rob, that Leicester would have carried on that form until at least the start of the new year. And they would have been in a position to really go for the title. You look at the other clubs in the Premier League, you look at how Arsenal and Tottenham both playing well, but Manchester United dropping down further down the league. Uh, the likes of Chelsea having a terrible season uh, as champions at the time. It was the worst defence of, of a Premier League title until Leicester's actually the year after. So I see no reason why Leicester wouldn't have been right up there going into the new year. Leicester signed Amari Gray from Birmingham, a signing based purely on scouting and very, very likely to be made under Nigel Pearson. Um, but there is one player, Rob, who Leicester tried to sign in that window, but they didn't, who would eventually sign in the summer. This player was Ahmed Musa. Now, would Pearson have pushed this through? So would Musa have signed for Leicester in January but alternatively Rob what if Leicester had actually signed Musa in January under Ranieri would they have actually won the league with Musa as a new signing would he have been um, a, a complete disruption of a side would he have been the the Esprilia of Leicester obviously it's hard to know but that's kind of why we're doing this podcast what if um, I think if Ahmed Musa joined Leicester in, in January rather than in the summer, then there would definitely have been less pressure on him because, you know, we spent a significant amount of cash on him. And if he'd have come in January, and let's say in 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 the real world, he would have come into a side that were absolutely flying and would have struggled to have got in the starting eleven but would give you an extra burst of pace off the bench. Let's say if um, if Leo Ajoa wasn't the option, if you didn't need the big man, if you thought you were getting some joy in behind and you wanted some extra pace, you could bring him on and he'd almost be under very little pressure that way. If he'd have come in in January in this alternative reality under Nigel Pearson, I think you're right to an extent. I think we would have um, continued the momentum that had been built off the back of the great escape season. Um, and I, I don't necessarily think we'd have won as many games, um, but I think there would still have been a, a real positive feel around Leicester City. And I think they probably, as we get to January, would have been in the in the top half, certainly, possibly, you know, pushing for top eight, top six. And again, if Ahmed Musa comes into that kind of setting, it's a group of confident players uh, with some momentum. And with the pressure not really on, because he wouldn't have been. I can't imagine any scenario where he would have brought it, had been brought in to replace somebody directly there and then midway through the season to go and be uh, the sort of the talisman. So he would have had much less pressure on his shoulders. As it happens, he came in when the eyes of the entire world were on Leicester City and what they were spending and who they were spending it on, and. 
and we we know kind of what happened in the season after this one when the title was won and and, and I think it was just a, a case of the the sort of timing and the the scenario really didn't fit so we've built the season up until this point Leicester in the title race top of the league turn of the year Pearson in charge club flying they've just signed Damari Gray possibly have signed Ahmed Musa. We're at the critical period. Okay, after a slight wobble in mid to late January where we don't score for three games, do City get the job done? So in real time, that's what happened. How much of the league win was it down to senior players? The captain, you've got Schmeichel, Hoof, Fuchs, Drinkwater, Vardy, obviously Morgan. But how much was it Claudio? Was it his words here and there, his relaxed attitude in the press and giving time off to the players? I've got it down, Rob, as as two crucial periods of time. You've got the 2-0 win against Liverpool, the Vardy goal, followed by the 3-1 win against Manchester City at the Etihad, and then the defeat to Arsenal, followed by the Ujoa goal, uh, sorry, the Vardy goal late on to uh, Norwich, uh, the one 0 was it Azure? Um I'm trying to remember now. It's there's so many. Yeah, it was. It was the it was the earthquake goal, wasn't it? It was it was the earthquake goal, wasn't it? It was Leo Azure at the at the far post to put us back on track. So you got the Liverpool win, the Man City win, the Arsenal defeat, and then the bounce back against Norwich. That was then followed by four successive one nil wins shortly afterwards. Now, could Pearson have done that? Could he have done both of those? Or could he have done just one? Now, first of all, the pressure would have been absolutely immense on Pearson. Top of the league, big games come in thick and fast in a bunch. Now, Tottenham at the time were absolutely flying. Six wins on the trots at that time, including their own win at Manchester City. And this is the big crux for me, Rob. I can see Nigel Pearson steering Leicester to four consecutive 1-0 wins. But I can't see him negotiating the previous period for one main reason, and that is the media pressure. Now, we all know what Pearson has done before, whether it be the ostrich gate or the strangling of MacArthur or telling a a fan to F off and die. I, I just can't see the press giving him an easy time. And more than that, actually, I can't see Nigel making it easy for himself. The huge plus of Ranieri at the time was taking pressure off the players, creating a brilliant atmosphere, an impression of the club, the squad, the story, the dilly-ding-dilly-dong. And this had to have helped the players, even if it's just slightly. And this wouldn't have happened under Pearson for me. It would have given Spurs and, and Arsenal an angle to work with to encourage their own players and manager. Just imagine if you're Pochettino or Arsene Wenger looking at Leicester every single week, waiting for that slip-up or a sign of weakness or pressure on the manager or the players or media stories about it getting to them. It just didn't happen. This wouldn't have happened if Nigel was in charge. I think City would have been then involved in a much tighter title race which invariably brings more pressure on those successive 1-0 wins, which, with that pressure, don't occur. I think a lot of what you say is is very true. We, we've we spoken 
I mean, this podcast has been running for longer than, than many of you would care to remember or care to admit that you've been listening to it. Uh, and we were recording episodes of the podcast during these times uh, and during Nigel Pearson during, uh, during Nigel Pearson's sort of reign, if you like, in the Great Escape season. And if you look at the clumps of defeats that happened in that Great Escape season, you would have to say, if you were looking at that, then you would have to say that Nigel Pearson wouldn't necessarily have the ability to turn something around in in a, in a short-term period of time. Because, you know, if he did, you wouldn't lose six games in a row, as we did from the end of November to the end of December, and then avoid defeat for three games and then lose another six of your next eight. Nigel Pearson was excellent at deflecting the pressure off of the players in certain ways, but it but it only worked for a time because his method was to do or say something outrageous that would almost take the story away from being the match that he was either talking before or talking after. Uh, and it, I wouldn't say it antagonised people, but it made him a target and it made people want to keep coming back for more and keep digging and keep nibbling. Now, Ranieri was also exceptionally good at deflecting the pressure off of the players. And I think, you know, if we didn't have either of those two managers' abilities to do that, then these seasons wouldn't have unfolded in the way that they did. But the way that Ranieri did it was, as you say, Pete, it was he was creating part of the story, a big part of the story, with his charm. He was genuinely a charming man. He was well-liked by the press. He was well-liked by the the club for the image that he was that he was projecting of the club. He was very, very well-liked by the um, supporters. And he was seen out and about in the local community. He was eating in local restaurants. Um, somebody um, that I went to school with lived next door to him during his time at Leicester City. And she said that he was very gracious, very, very humble, very down to earth. So he was deflecting the attention onto him because he was such a... It's almost, it's almost a rare thing, isn't it, in football? Football's very egotistical. Football's very much... Uh, especially if you're a manager, it's a very lonely place. But he created this sort of community, this this family spirit, really, which, which has always been there at Leicester, but not all of the managers managed to en- encapsulate it. And I think very few have managed to do it in the way that he did. So in in doing that, he managed to make the players feel positive and well-loved, whereas Nigel Pearson's deflections were negative, if, if that makes any sense at all. It does. They are trying to accomplish the same thing, but in completely different ways. Pearson, in a very similar style, in many ways, to someone like an Alex Ferguson, where he wants all the pressure on him uh, because apparently it won't get to him. He's not care. He doesn't care what people say about him or what people think about him, which he said on numerous occasions. And if he wants, he can say something outrageous, the dead cat scenario, where whatever's happened, whatever problems on the field, he'll say something ridiculous, and then the story is about that. Now, even if it's inadvertently, look what happened with the ostrich thing. But I just can't 
I don't believe the the press at the time. If you go back to that time, they were so much on Leicester's side. Actually, in in uh, very interesting. Well, not really, but just before we started recording this, I've just seen a a, a tweet and a, and it was the goal against um, Swansea at home when we won four 0 the first header by Joa. And uh, it had something like the press was uh, against Leicester because they wanted us to fail because we didn't have Vardy. And I'm thinking, it's absolute garbage. Leicester, everyone wanted Leicester to win the press. Uh, Most other football clubs, apart from Tottenham and Arsenal, obviously. It was, it was, there was so much goodwill to Leicester. And a lot of that came from Ranieri. And it was his big plus points. And if you change it to what we're doing now with Nigel Pearson, I just don't see it happening. And I think Nigel wouldn't have reacted well. The pressure of going for the league, at the time, Leicester still would have been right up there and they would have been involved in a really close tussle with Tottenham and Arsenal. So could they have reeled off those four successive 1-0 wins? Yes, they could under Nigel Pearson, but they wouldn't have had the cushion that they did under Claudio. So they wouldn't have won 1-0 as they did against Newcastle at home, the Okazaki goal. Before that, Watford as well, that Mares goal, you remember, away. Uh, and then they played Palace with Mares scoring again and Morgan with his goal against Southampton. They followed that, actually, then with the 2-0 win away at Sunderland. I just can't see that happening because as much as Tottenham were winning all the time, all the time, and then they had their occasional slip-up, the draw at home against West Brom. Leicester, of course, drawing uh, again, against West Brom at home 2-2. Gardner with that free kick. I just can't see Leicester doing that under Nigel Pearson in a very close title race, which it would have been in our uh, alternative timeline. So, we get towards the end of the season and Tottenham are absolutely flying. I can see Tottenham winning the league. Tottenham win the league. Not Leicester, not Arsenal. They slip away. And Leicester... I can see them finishing second or third behind Tottenham. Now, amid the disappointments of not winning the title, I think this would have actually been settled slightly earlier than Leicester in real time winning the title. And I think what would have happened is that the realisation of not winning the league would have been really, really dramatic and hard for a lot of people to take because it would have been the first time since, well, 1963 probably or... That Leicester have actually had a chance of 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 winning the top flight, and that would have lasted for a number of days. But I believe that the atmosphere would have changed before the end of the season, and then when Leicester play Everton on the final home game of the season, it would have been a, a carnival atmosphere. Still, it would have, everyone would have been proud. Leicester have qualified for the Champions League. They've had an amazing season. That's completely out of the blue. And Nigel Pearson is smiling on the touchline. He knows. Other clubs have won the league, but they've had a brilliant season. They go and beat Everton. They go away to Chelsea, probably draw like they did in real time. And they finish second or third, qualifying for the Champions League. Leicester have had a tremendous, fantastic, a season beyond anyone's wildest dreams. But they don't win the league. Yeah, and that's that's kind of the, the answer to the big question. Uh, or a slightly different question. Would Leicester City have won the league if Nigel Pearson hadn't been sacked in the summer of 2015? No, quite frankly. Um, but I think those people listening that think it might be a little bit far-fetched to think that under Pearson, Leicester could still have been 
in contention for the title or at least sort of top six, you've, you've got to look at the season that other teams had. Now, lots of other teams, supporters of other teams that are a little bit bitter towards Leicester City um, will say, oh yeah, we had a terrible season that season, that's why you won the league. Um, not strictly true because, you know, we were we ended up finishing 10 points clear at the top of the league ahead of Arsenal, 11 points ahead of Tottenham Hotspur and a good 15 points inside the Champions League places. So let's say, theoretically, you take off four or five of Leicester City's wins in that season. Uh, probably those ones that we talked about that, that might not necessarily have happened un- under Pearson's leadership. And Leicester City still finish um, in the high 60s in terms of points, which in that season would have been enough to finish fourth. So the, the the reality or the sort of alternative reality that we've just discussed is realistic. It, it is a reality, a potential reality because those other teams, you can say what they like, what you like about their performance there. But if Leicester had lost four or five more games, they still would have been in the Champions League places. So it is very feasible to think that on the momentum of one of the greatest escapes in Premier League history, they could have achieved that. And you're absolutely right, Pete. The feel-good um, atmosphere at the end, uh, at the final home game of the season, which usually is a is a great occasion anyway. You've normally got the birches run. It's normally sunny. Um, and, and, you know, people feel good, or, or kind of almost a little bit um, thoughtful, really, and pensive about the season that's just gone and a sort of a, a summer to come and, and, and missing football. It's usually a positive atmosphere. It would have absolutely been it. You can picture it now, Pearson and Shakespeare and Walsh and Stowell on the touchline, clapping each other on the back. We've got in the Champions League, lap of honour. You know, some fans would probably have even created some Champions League banners, you know, or, or motifs ready for the for the season to come. Uh, and it would have all been very positive and we would have absolutely loved it. And it would have gone down in history as one of Leicester's best ever seasons. Now, one big question we have to ask ourselves, Rob, is do Leicester then keep Nigel Pearson? And for me, it's yes. The owners would surely have kept Pearson. Um, and I think they would have been drawing up a list anyway, just in case of a drop-off in form or a managerial meltdown in the case of Nigel Pearson. But I think they would have kept Pearson. And the summer of 2016 is a period when many Leicester fans believe that money actually wasn't spent very wisely, the money generated from the previous season. Let's just go through some of the signings that were made, Rob. You've got Ron Robert Zilo, the goalkeeper, arrives. Uh, Hernandez, you've got uh, Kapuska for a what, couple of million, rising to around five or six. And Nampley's Mendy came for, what, 13, 14 million. Musa signs for 16. Now, whether he signed beforehand in January, we've already discussed. And Islam Slomani for around about 27 to 29 million is a late signing before the season's... Actually, season's underway, but a late transfer signing. Now, the first two, Rob, I can see being signed. So, likes of uh, Zila. Uh, Hernandez, I'm not entirely sure about, but he was kind of a, a small signing, so we can easily bypass him. Now, Mendy is a direct replacement for N'Golo Kante. 
and N'Golo Kante leaves for Chelsea for £32 million. That would have happened even with Pearson in charge because he wanted to join Chelsea, he wanted to move to a big club and play and we've seen what he went on to do winning the Premier League with Chelsea that season and then winning the World Cup a year later. So N'Golo Kante always goes. So Mendy, who signed following the same pattern as N'Golo Kante in terms of stats etc 12 months before, signs for around about £13-14 million. Pounds. Musa, so he signs as well because again he was scouted and he could have signed in January as we know. So I can see those two signings still happening. Zila, again goalkeepers, do I think that Claudio had a big part in signing Zila? You, you think that he maybe would have been one that's been scouted and he would have signed. But the big one, Rob, is Slomani. Now, I can't see how Pearson wouldn't have been attracted to a player like Slimani, a, a, a big-ish guy up top. But Leicester at the time had Leo Jar. They had Cramrich, very importantly, who was around the squad. He played more of a role in the previous season than he did with Ranieri in real time. And would they have spent the money on, on, on Slimani, a player who had been scouted, but I just can't see them actually signing... Slimani, and it's because of Cramwich. I think Cramwich would have kicked on as a player at Leicester because he's such a talented player. He's gone on to have a wonderful career at Hoffenheim and, and he's one of those signings where you look back and go, how did we let him go? But the answer is, how? Because we went and won the Premier League without him. So it doesn't matter that he went. He could have been one of the best players of all time. It doesn't matter. If he was there, we might not have won the league. But I think Cramwich would have stayed with Pearson. He would have believed in the signing more than obviously Ranieri because he was a Pearson signing and he would have really started to develop ultimately bypassing Okazaki and starting probably from the final half of the previous season and he would have started this season alongside Jamie Vardy so because Cramrich is there playing well I don't see Leicester signing Slomani. No I don't I don't see um the manager or the board really being able to justify spending that much money on a striker when if Nigel Pearson had said to the board in this alternative reality, Andre Kramerich is a player. You know, he's been out on loan um for the second half of the season of the title winning season. Um come and watch him in training. Whatever. He scored a few goal he played a little bit of a part last time. He's he's finding his feet now. He is a natural goal scorer. And especially with Ajoa being still in the in the Leicester squad and so reliable, he scored some extremely crucial goals. You know, he's kind of been pigeonholed a little bit into being uh, the the big man up front, really, hasn't he? But the the composure that he kept to score some very crucial goals, including penalties, including back back stick finishes, you know, against Norwich that set off earthquakes. He he was doing a tremendous job for Leicester City and was very well liked by the fans. He worked hard, which I think is a trait that Nigel Pearson would really have appreciated. And he came with the highest of recommendations because he was signed because Nigel Pearson said to Wes Morgan and Robert Huth, who did you least like playing against in the championship this season? And they said Leo Ajoa. So Pearson said, right, here's uh, here's 10 million, let's buy him. So there would have been no need for Slomani. I think Slomani on his day was capable of producing absolutely anything. And in sort of flashes, we saw some real talent. 
But I think Nigel Pearson would have seen through that and would have seen that he's a bit of a diva. How many times did we see Slamani slam his hands against his thighs, you know, short sleeves and gloves and, and just look like he thought he was better than the people around him? Whereas Leo Ajoa worked his backside off as a member of the team and 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 was really an important player in that respect. So you've, you're almost back in the situation where we talked about Ahmed Musa if it had signed six months earlier with Kramerich. You've got Vardy who is very much the talisman. You've got Shinji Okazaki, who you know is going to put a shift in for 60 minutes. You've got Leonardo Ujou, who you can rely on to score important goals, who you can rely on to work hard, and who, yes, if you need to, bring him on on the 80th, 75th, 80th minute and get him to hold the ball up at the other end of the pitch if we're, if we're losing the game, uh, if we're winning the game, rather. Um, and then Kramerich is your fourth striker, and you don't need anybody else. And, and Kramerich comes into less significant games. He starts getting 20, 25, 30 minutes here, there and, and, and bagging a few goals and becoming more confident. I think you're absolutely right. Then he would he would eventually go on to usurp uh, Shinji Okazaki as a regular strike partner for Jamie Vardy. And we would never have broadly wasted £28 million on the commodity that is slash was continues to be Islam Slamani. Yeah, I mean, in our, in our timeline with Nigel Pearson, he wouldn't have, in terms of Kramich, he wouldn't have gone out on loan to Hoffenheim. He would have always been at Leicester, so he, he could have been playing in that season before the uh, what was 2015-16 season. But uh, but also, Leo Ajoa very quickly became that player who comes off the bench in the final few minutes, in the final, say, half an hour, 20 minutes, very, very successfully, but do remember the season beforehand he was Leicester's record signing he was the big guy up top who scored the goals and had a really good season in a side that only just avoided relegation and then kicked on in the last three or four games to eventually finish fairly safely out of the relegation zone in the greatest escape season he had a great season so it's not like he's a a 35 year old warhorse up top he's still a very active centre forward but I just don't think they would have signed Slomani unless uh, the board go ahead with it, maybe over the top of Pearson because they wanted a signing for the Champions League campaign. But we progress into the Premier League. So we are not champions, but I can see Leicester starting actually fairly well compared to Ranieri. Do remember that first game as champions, an opening day defeat away at Hull. It was a massive loss. And we started the season on the back foot. Beginning as champions, Leicester would always have a target on their back. But they actually started like a a mid to higher table side. They won against Swansea, Burnley and Palace at home. They drew with Arsenal and Spurs. But they had some really bad defeats. They lost away at Liverpool and Manchester United. The serious problems came for Ranieri in December. After, if you remember, the fantastic 4-2 win against Man City, one of my... All-time favourite Leicester games. The first 20-minute spell, they were unbelievable. Vardy scoring, Slomani working really well with Mares to set up. But Mares, that layoff of Vardy, fantastic. Um, but then the form fell away spectacularly, resulting in Ranieri's sacking. Uh, before then, the five successive league wins under Shakespeare, starting with the win against Liverpool. But of course, in our timeline, Leicester starts fairly well. And I think they would have been a relatively 
safe mid-table side, would there have been a drop-off? I think so. I think there would have been. I don't think they would have been near the relegation zone under Pearson, but I think that they would have reverted maybe back to a norm. I can see them being less spectacular, so not conceding the amount of goals. If you remember the defeat away at Manchester United, what was it 4-1? I think Gray scored a fantastic goal late on as a as a consolation, but they scored, say, three goals just before half-time. It was Leicester all over the place. I can see Leicester being less spectacular. Uh, Cranwich with more of a starting role and playing well. Okazaki maybe not in the side. The club don't face a relegation battle, but they're not pressing the top six too much. But, of course, that season really revolves around Europe. And if you look at the European success that we had that season, would Nigel have had it? Okay, this is, you know, you're going in quite far away from the normal timeline, but you, you have to believe that he probably would. Now, it all bases on who they would have drawn in the group stages. But if they drew the same group, the group was there to win. Bruges beat them. Copenhagen, we can beat them. And Porto, beat them at home. I don't think we would have got thrashed away at Porto because if you look back at the side that played Porto in that game, uh, I noticed actually on recent photos online, uh, Harvey Barnes, he's got the, the signed... Uh, and framed shirt he wore that day away in Porto. Uh, it was the red kit at the time. Um, the whole club were completely up for the Champions League. The players, supporters, absolutely everyone. So I can't believe that. I don't believe that if Pearson was in charge, I don't think anything would have changed. And then we get to the group stages. Or the knockout stages. <laughs> the, the, I was, you threw me off there. Yeah, yeah. Knockout stages. Uh, yeah, I think the, the group was very favourable to us in the Champions League. Um, in terms of how things were going domestically, if you if you look at the season as a whole in the, the season following our our title winning campaign, or in this alternative reality, it's the season following uh, our qualification for the Champions League in finishing, what, third or fourth, something like that, under Nigel Pearson, who stayed at Leicester. Now, that season... The, the the first season, the, the title winning season, if you will, um, you needed 66 points to finish fourth. Uh, everybody up their game, really, in terms of points accrued in the following season. And you needed 76 points to, to qualify for the Champions League in the 2016-17 season. Um, Nigel Pearson's Leicester, I can see them having a similar-ish season to to the one that they had in the alternative reality that we've just talked about and getting mid to high 60s, which would have got them seventh place probably. So that's pretty much in terms of where you finish in the league, a Europa League qualifying position usually. Um, and I totally agree with where we're at in the, in the discussion right now in terms of the Champions League. You would very much expect us to beat Bruges and Copenhagen. Uh, possibly, you know, a draw away at Copenhagen um, wouldn't have been a disaster uh, if you beat Bruges home and away. Uh, and then you, you probably on a big Champions League night, you would beat Porto at home, as we did in in that reality, um, and move on to the the knockout stage. 
Are we are we saying in this alternative reality that we're going to stick with the, the Champions League draw that happened and we're now in the round of 16 against Sevilla? Absolutely. And I'll just echo what you what you were saying. I, I think Leicester would have been maybe further down the league because if you look at the drop-off in players, yes, they were league title winners, so they, they had that already in the book. But I, I just think they would have dropped off further, mainly because, as you said, the other sides really did improve. And we've still signed... Ahmed Musa, we haven't strengthened in maybe other areas. Obviously, we don't know what would have happened and whether he would have. Uh, but but also with Pearson, I think Pearson would have been more relaxed because the pressure is now off Leicester. They've had the amazing season, but um, the focus is now turned in terms of the media pressure on everyone else. Okay, Leicester don't have the pressure on them because I don't think they're involved in a relegation battle as they were in real time. But I think they're probably maybe further down. I mean, end of the day, we're, we're talking hypothetically, so it, it could well be. But I think if we stick with Europe, and in terms of the draw, Leicester owners, we know, are ambitious. Okay? And Leicester sack Claudio Ranieri on the 23rd of February in 2017, less than 24 hours after the 2-1 loss to Sevilla in the Champions League in the knockout stage. Before that, they were humiliated away at Millwall in the FA Cup. The writings on the wall in the Premier League, Leicester only one point above the relegation zone with 13 games remaining. Now, in our timeline, as we mentioned, Leicester play Sevilla again. They're not one point off the relegation zone, but in and around mid-table, mid-to-higher table. Um, So the owners don't have to make that call to keep the club in the Premier League. Leicester under Nigel Pearson with the side, do they beat Sevilla? I think they do because they go into that game away from home. You remember that 2-1 defeat away to Sevilla. How we managed to get a 2-1 result, ultimately a tremendous result. We then turn it around in the home game with Craig Shakespeare in charge. But it was an amazing, the best 2-1 defeat the club's ever had in theory, away to Sevilla. I think if they're on a more stable basis, which they are, they could have gone there and maybe got a positive result and then we could have turned them over at the King Power. So Champions League quarterfinals, here we come. Yeah, I totally agree. I think I think the, the feel-good factor would have been more around Leicester in that two-legged tie against Sevilla than, than it was in, in, in reality. So I think, if anything, the... The victory wouldn't uh, would made maybe have been more realistic than it actually was. That that sounds ridiculous because it actually happened. We actually beat Sevilla in the round of sixteen of the Champions League. That happened, but in this reality that we're talking about, it, it, it beating Sevilla is a more likely result. I think so, but the the thing is now you're in the the third season in the Premier League. Okay, they've had a successful Champions League campaign up till now. They're playing Atletico Madrid in the quarterfinals. I just don't think that Leicester, under Nigel Pearson, in either the season, the postseason before or, or around Christmas in the transfer window at January, I don't think that they would have bought the amount of players needed because I still think Leicester as a squad would have been too short for the Champions League campaign and the Premier League. I think the in the Premier League, form would have naturally dropped off as we approached the, the quarterfinal stage. And if you do remember around that time, Leicester had all sorts of injuries and even only two or three injuries to Leicester at the time. It's not like they had the squad they do now. So if there was two or three injuries to the first team, they could almost like for like replace at the time. 
we didn't have that and I still believe under Pearson we wouldn't have had. So we go into the game against Atletico Madrid away at the Vicente Calderon. I just, unfortunately, I can't see Leicester beating Madrid. I can't see it. Maybe getting a draw away because they could have easily got a draw or should have got a draw because it wasn't a penalty. It was outside of the box. But at home, I think they're just too strong overall and it would have been probably more than likely a, a, a depleted Leicester side because of, again... The pressure on them from the season before and the run in the league at the moment, the Champions League, I think it still would have been a number of injuries. I just don't see Leicester beating Diego Simeone's Atletico Madrid. No, I mean, I'm just looking at the lineups from the actual real two legs, and they've got some real quality players and a real quality manager, and they were very, very well thought of not just in La Liga but in terms of their ability in Europe as well so I think it would have been as it proved to be in in real life it would have been a, a step too far for for Leicester City to be to be beating over two legs certainly a, a team of that quality what happens next and the final parts to this what if is Leicester are knocked out of the Champions League and I believe that the owners of Leicester City Football Club would have let Pearson go either after the Champions League exit or more than likely at the end of the season. I think they would have believed that Nigel Pearson had taken Leicester as far as he could. They've had a tremendous campaign in the Champions League. They finished third or so in the season before. They're in mid to lower table probably in this season. And he leaves an absolute hero, Nigel. He goes at the end of the season. He's probably not happy with it behind the scenes. But he goes. It's probably announced before the last game of the season so he can get a a brilliant applause from the crowd and have a a lap of honour. But he leaves a hero. So in the summer of 2017, Leicester, after three seasons in the Premier League, a successful Champions League campaign, they've got a healthy bank balance. They're a very, very attractive club to manage. Nigel Pearson has left. He goes elsewhere, probably takes a bit of time off from football, but his stock is so high and he's well-loved by all the supporters. Now, the owners, they look around Europe to try and make a decision on who's going to take Leicester forward, who's going to spend the money, who's going to attract the players, who can take Leicester to that next stage, who can get them back into Europe. And they make a surprise decision, Rob. In the summer of 2017, Leicester City appoints... Claudio Ranieri as manager. You're joking. Uh, it would get to that point. You're absolutely right. The, the great escape season was was outrageous. Um, in this reality that we're talking about here, this alternative reality, Nigel Pearson, getting Leicester to qualify for the Champions League is outrageous. Getting Leicester to the quarterfinals of the Champions League once you've qualified for it, outrageous. And to leave the club sitting comfortably in mid-table, having enjoyed a European adventure and hungry for more, would have been a very good place. I think you're right. Pearson probably would have felt like he had more to give. But our owners are ambitious. They've proved that. Uh, our owners also, in in a good way, they like to have... A, I won't say marquee signing because that that kind of sounds a little bit 
negative, but they like to have somebody with some stature in charge of the club. And Nigel Pearson's stature obviously, obviously would have risen with um, these seasons that we've talked about as potentially happening should he have stayed in charge of Leicester City. But they would have wanted a name, one that was well-known around Europe. Um, Nigel Pearson would have gone, and I think most most Leicester fans uh, look at Nigel Pearson fondly anyway, and there are many sections of Leicester fans and, and football fans worldwide that would say that Nigel Pearson built the foundations for Leicester winning the, the title under Claudio Ranieri, and I think certain elements of that uh, discussion are are true and have got some foundation. So he would have been sort of waved off uh, a hero very fondly. Um, similar, really, to to the conversation that we had in the first version of this What If series, uh, similar to Martin O'Neill, uh, taking the club through some very positive years, you know, top half finishes, Champions League qualification. He would have gone... Um, with with his head held high, and somebody like Claudio Ranieri would have been appointed. It happened in 2015. The only reason in this reality here that it's happening two years later on is because Nigel Pearson has stayed as manager. So in comes Claudio Ranieri in the summer of 2017. Where do Leicester go from there? Who knows? That's the decision for everyone to make up in their minds. That's where we're going to finish this what if episode. It's it's just an intriguing scenario because I think Leicester, in the way that they've scouted players, and many football clubs will be doing this anyway, but they go generally go for targets either scouted previously by different people at the football club, but they generally go for targets that they've been linked with before or they've they've had on their books. It's quite rare for Leicester to make a signing that is out of the blue. The only thing that that might change would be now under Brendan Rodgers because it is a completely different group of people at the football club from basically the the chief scouts, the director of football downwards. You know, the, the Rudkin is still there, but everything below is, is completely different with Rodgers and because of the success, he's, he's given basically carte blanche to do what he wants and deservedly so. But beforehand... Ranieri was someone apparently that they had in mind beforehand and I just think that they would have gone for him anyway. Would Ranieri have come to the club? Of course he would have. He came to the club when they had just survived in the Premier League. Would he have come to a a, a club buoyed by European football and now three seasons in the Premier League and with a very, very good side? Of course he would have done. What would have happened under Ranieri? We're not going to go into too much detail, but I think it might have been fairly similar to what happened in 2016. Maybe not resulting in the Premier League because you look at the opposition by then, the likes of Liverpool and Manchester City were just reaching a completely different level. But I, I, I believe he probably would have had a very, very good season and probably would have dropped off the face of a cliff just like it did the season after, I think <laughs> it, it, it's a strange scenario. But uh, are we just extending it by another year, like we did with O'Neill? Yes, I think that's the right way. And many people will have, and I think hopefully, and some of the feedback we've had on these what if episodes, the O'Neill one. Yes, many people are around at the time, and it's a good listen. And we, I won't go into all the details because you're going to have to listen to what actually happened. Uh, with that story but then you go back to the 60s with the 63 and again that's more of a history lesson it certainly was for me 
going through all the research, going through the stats and what happened. And it was fantastic. And I feel that I know an awful lot now about what happened in the 60s and 70s. Uh, but this is one where everyone will have their opinions. I think this will be the one, Rob, where people will be shouting. I think people will be shouting, you idiots. Of course, they wouldn't have been mid-table. Pearson would have would, would have been in the relegation battle the next season. Or, of course, Pearson would have won the league the year before. He, he wouldn't have won the league by 20 points, let alone 10 points. Or maybe he would have got sacked at Christmas in 2015-16 and Leicester would have been maybe fighting relegation. Everyone would have their own opinions on what happened in the season of 2015-16 with Pearson in charge. I think it's the biggest question in Leicester City's history. It's the biggest what-if. And again, it's one of the biggest what-ifs in football recently, certainly in the Premier League. And maybe, if you look further down, possibly the biggest question in football history.